are you going, Max? Liz asked. I'm going to confront them wolf beasties once and for all. Charlie and me were talking about them just before the fire broke out. More evidence, lass. They did this. I just knew it. Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, with your hosts, Max and Liz. This podcast is brought to you by Playful World Ministries. Max, Liz, and all the characters and adventures of the Epic Order of the Seven were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. On today's episode, we'll hear Chapter 55 from The Ark, The Reed, and The Fire Cloud. And of course, a little later, we'll head over to Jenny's corner and chat with our author extraordinaire, Jenny Cody. And today, we'll be asking her about events that are specific to this chapter. So now, before we get started, I want to remind you of something else. If you're enjoying our story of The Ark, The Reed, and The Fire Cloud, you're going to love our latest audiobook collaboration. That's right, Jenny and I have teamed up again to bring the audiobook version of her book, The Voice, The Revolution, and the Key. It takes place in colonial America and focuses on the life of Patrick Henry, whose stirring words made him the voice of the American Revolution. It's another brilliant story by Jenny L. Cody, with Max, Liz, and the entire Epic Order of the Seven helping pave the way to liberty in America. Just go to audible.com and type in The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key and you can download your very own copy today. That's The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key by Jenny L. Cody. Find it at audible.com. Right now, it's my distinct pleasure and privilege to bring out our hosts. First, a dog that has traveled the world over. Well, I, it were a flooded world, of course. Where are you going, lad? Yes, Max, a dog who has dined with kings and queens. I did what? Princes and princesses, and knights. And these? <laughs> what are you rambling on about there, lad? Yes, Max. Oh, he's still going. A brave Scottish terrier who has defeated lions and giants and bears. Oh, oh my! That was David who did all that. No, I, I thought it were the Green Bay Packers. Hmm, lions and giants and bears? It could be the Packers. Why, Max has even slain the dragons of Veldar. The who? And has space-traveled all over the solar system. No, I... Saturn, Neptune... I never went to Saturn. You did hang out with Pluto that one time. (laughs) (laughs) Aye, he were a riot, too. And we drove around in a Mercury and were eating Mars bars. (laughs) And don't forget some moon pies. (laughs) Right, announcer lad? You daft Looney Tunes space cadet. And let's not forget Max's lovely co-host, Liz. (laughs) This ought to be good. The French feline with an IQ of 4,012. (laughs) Well, not quite. Close, but no. A cat who has single-handedly defeated master chess players from all around the globe. I didn't know that. (laughs) Neither did I. And now is the world's premier breeder of Australian unicorns. (laughs) What? All right, hold up, loony lad. There's no such thing as an Australian unicorn. Well, sure, most of them supposedly migrated from New Zealand during the great ocean evaporation of 1912, but having grazed on eucalyptus plants for the last century, they developed... Stop the madness! Ah, monsieur, what planet are you on today? (laughs) Well, Earth, of course. Eh, wrong. Try again, lad. What do you mean? Monsieur... You are saying all kinds of things that just are not true. Aye. In fact, some of it were a bit... Oh, how shall we say it? Oui. 
Why are you saying such outlandish things? Okay, well, I, I was just trying my hand at fiction. I'll say. But that weren't fiction, lad. That were more, uh... <laughs> Well, fiction is just making up stuff, right? No, monsieur. It goes far deeper than that. Aye. Like, for example, it needs to, oh, I don't know, make a lick of sense. We, uh, oui. In other words, monsieur, the fictional content needs to be cohesive to and compatible with the basic construct of the overall story world in which that fictionalized portion is interjected. Uh, yeah, like I said, it needs to make sense, too. Well, Miss Jenny added lots of fiction to the story of Noah's Ark. Oui, but the things she made up still fit with the stories the Bible gives us about the Ark. In other words, uh, these things could actually have happened, or are at least true to the characters of the different animals. Aye, a woodpecker probably would be banging things out in planks, and a beaver probably would be carving wooden things, but, uh, there weren't no unicorns. In fact, today's chapter of this story deals with something very real, something we are very familiar with, yet uh, Miss Jenny totally made it up. Wait, what? It is not in the maker's word. But it could have really happened. Aye. There aren't a lot of details in the Maker's word about life on the Ark, you know. And that's where Miss Jenny comes in, bringing all sorts of possibilities that help to make it a great story. And later in Jenny's corner, she'll even tell us how her fiction may have the answers to why the Bible has very few details in real life. Okay, okay, now, now I'm really intrigued. Uh, well, first, lad... Read the chapter. And uh, this time, uh, stick to the script then. I will. You promise? I promise. No unicorns? Well, no, no unicorns. unicorns! All right, all right. Chapter 55, Trials by Fire. Ada and her daughters-in-law were doing their best to help the animals move to the outer deck. The animals were shoving and pushing in a panic. The women threw some of the smaller animals on the backs of the large ones. Birds were squawking and flying every which way. Animals were screeching and clawing. Feathers and fur were flying. It was utter chaos. Noah and his sons were racing about with buckets, running between the storage room and the waterfall, trying to extinguish the flames that licked the doorframe. Smoke billowed upward, filling the upper tier of the ark and causing the animals and humans to cough and making it difficult to see as their eyes filled with smoky tears. Liz anxiously sat on a railing nearby as Max reached her. Max! The humans can't get this fire under control! What should we do, lass? Max shouted. Hurry! Get Duke and Farida and lead them to the waterfall to fill up their trunks! And get here as fast as you can, Liz said as she jumped off the railing. As Max ran to get the elephants, Liz ran to get Don Pedro. She jumped on the rail and unlatched his gate. Don Pedro, come with me. You must push water barrels to the supply room. There's no time to lose. The humans were coughing and staggering in the thick smoke. Noah was especially having a hard time. It seemed their efforts were not making a dent in the fire. The flames mocked their feeble efforts. Suddenly, a huge spray of water rushed past them. 
the elephants! Shem exclaimed as he saw the two beasts shooting water out of their trunks. Max was at their side. Look, father, the little dog has brought the elephants. Don Pedro pushed a water barrel from an adjacent stall, and Duke and Farida refilled their trunks. And look, the bull has the right idea. Get more barrels! Ham shouted as the brothers ran to the other stalls nearby and lined up water barrels for the elephants. Liz stood next to Max as they hoped beyond hope that their plan would work. After ten minutes, the fire was brought under control. As the humans worked with the animals to douse the flames, everyone was exhausted. Duke and Farida were huffing and puffing from their hard work. Don Pedro's hide was sweating from pushing so many barrels, and the humans were exhausted. Noah sat on the floor, and Max came up to make sure he was okay. Noah rubbed the little dog on the head, thanking him. Father, better come in here, Shem called, wiping his brow with the backside of his arm. Noah looked up and pushed himself off the floor. He joined his sons in the storage room. They were kicking through the charred rubble. Shem reached down, pulling out an overturned oil lamp. Father, here's the culprit, Shem said, handing it to Noah. Max and Liz stood at the entrance of the storage room, watching. Japheth tossed some boards and oil-soaked clothes from a pile. Shem reached down and this time pulled out a palm-sized chunk of wood. Max recognized it as the figure Bogart had carved for Upendo, the giraffe. Shem picked up another figure, this one a burnt likeness of Al. Carvings of the rhinos, panthers, penguins, all charred but still recognizable. Max looked at Liz, whose brow was furrowed in thought. Noah struggled to free something from the back side of the extinguished bonfire. Strings were intertwined with the wooden planks on the pile. Noah finally pulled a charred corn husk sack loose. It was Liz's seed sack. Liz's heart leaped. Once the sack was dislodged, something else protruded from the rubble. Uncharred. Intact. It was Max's reed. I recognize this. This is the dog's stick. Strange, Shem said, rubbing his head. The fire didn't burn this at all. Shem handed the stick to Max, who gently took it into his mouth. Max looked at Liz, eyes full of questions, yet full of relief. Ham suddenly spotted something. He pulled out some pieces of clay and stood to inspect them. Father? Noah looked up. He, too, recognized the broken pieces. My tablet! The one I have been looking for! Noah scanned it quickly then looked into his son's eyes. This was the journal of our voyage aboard the ark. He looked down at the now ruined clay fragments in his hands. If I thought it were possible, father, I'd say this was intentional. If they were capable, I'd say one of the animals did this, said Shem, throwing a branch of charred eucalyptus on the pile. Out of the corner of his eye, Max spotted movement in the corridor. The wolves were running past. A low growl rumbled in Max's throat. As he ran out into the corridor, Liz lifted her paw to stop him. Where are you going, Max? Liz asked. 
I'm going to confront them wolf beasties once and for all. Charlie and me were talking about them just before the fire broke out. More evidence, lass. They did this. I just knew it, Max angrily replied. Liz looked at Max's reed, still amazed at the powers it held. Then she looked her friend square in the eye with a seriousness Max had never before seen in his feline friend. The evidence is inconclusive, Liz said sternly, her tail slowly curling up and down. Max frowned, then added, But what about them trying to kill me then? I still think them beasties must have pushed the grain sack over the railing. Liz looked at Max. I'm sorry you were almost hurt, mon ami, but there is no evidence to suggest that the grain sack was pushed. Things are not always what they seem. Max frowned even more. Gilliman used to say that, he thought to himself. He put that thought out of his mind and continued his argument against the wolves. Well, the polar bears heard some patent beasties outside their stall. They dropped a wooden object that sounded an awful lot like a reed. What about that? Max was trying hard to make the connection between the wolves and all the strange activity. How many animals do you know on this ark who pant when they walk? It could have been Jafaru and Sasha out for a stroll, dropping any number of things, Liz argued. Max was not at all pleased. I know what I know. Them wolf beasties are trouble. Always have been, always will be. Liz placed her paw on Max's shoulder. Have you asked the maker about this, Max? What does he tell you in your heart about the truth? Max looked to the ground, then up to meet Liz's face. He knew he hadn't talked to the maker in a while. He had been too caught up with his popularity aboard the Ark and looking at things his own way. All he could say was, Nothing. The makers told me nothing. You have been a good friend, Massimilian, and as my friend, I worry about you and your friendship with Charles. Max was taken aback. What are you saying, lass? He saved me life, Liz. He's done nothing against me. I know you have your questions about the snake, but he's been a good friend, and I know that you've been a good friend to me, too. Please, Max, be careful, Liz said, concern for her friend written all over her face. I got to have some answers, Liz, Max said as he got up and wandered down the corridor. He felt confused and wanted to be alone. Liz called after him. Be on your guard, Maximilian. Be on your guard. Oh, I remember that day. I so needed you to hear me, Max. I had so many questions, and I needed answers. So did I, Max. It is rather curious how little we know of life aboard the Ark. Aye, we know the exact size that Noah was supposed to build it, and what creatures were supposed to be on board. 
But the day-to-day -day activity after the flood? Well, the maker said very little in his book. Well, it's a good thing we have Miss Jenny, then, to give us the inside edition. So, let's head to Jenny's corner to get inside her mind for the inside look at the inside of the ark. Uh, too, too many, many insides? insides? Aye. Uh, pardon. Uh, so, Miss Jenny. Well, hello, Max and Liz. What are you curious about today? We were wondering why it seems like the Maker left out so many details of life on the Ark, and how you came to making up the answers. One of the things I have long admired about the Jewish people is their incredible attention to detail and meticulous note-taking. If you just read through the Old Testament, especially the book of Numbers, you'll see how specific they were with Numbers. It's staggering to me how they recorded every soul, every person was counted when they made records of every tribe of Israel and Judah. So one of the things we know is they were passionate about recording their history. So, of course, Moses was the one who wrote the account of Noah's Ark. And when I first read it, Part of me was frustrated with Moses. I'm like, come on, I know you guys love to keep records. This huge event that happened with Noah and his family that were stuck aboard the ark a year, as we talked about before, why is there not more detail of what that looked like? So I had to fill in the gaps. And to me, okay, how could it be that Noah did not keep a journal or a captain's log, you know, every good captain keeps a captain's log and has a journal and it says what the weather conditions were and what happened and what the winds were like and so forth. And why don't we have that information? We know that Noah must have had the chronology of Adam and his descendants through the time of Noah, right? Because that is recorded in the Bible. So as I started looking at this, I was like, all right, the only logical thing I can think of is that Noah's journal about the adventure, long duration assignment mission aboard the ark was lost. Well, how could it be lost? And this came into a fictional plot line of Noah's journal being destroyed by the evil one who wanted to erase the history of what happened. And so that's a fictional line, but for me, something must have happened because I can't imagine Noah not writing down his story. You know, history is an important thing to write down. And I would encourage you, keep a journal yourself of what happens in your daily life or in your family because that's a rich legacy to leave your family and your descendants. And that's one of the things that I love about what God has called me to do is to write history, and specifically, I'm currently writing the history of America's story in painstaking detail that I've never seen in, in a fictional way. And so it's really important to remember our history and never to forget it, because there's the saying, those who do not remember their history are doomed to repeat it. And so always know your history, write it down, and then read it. Oh, merci, Miss Jenny. A fictional account to give us the details about a real event. <laughs> and they call me brillant. Aye, that was some amazing thinking you did. 
and you let us make some brilliant decisions too then. We, with the elephants and Don Pedro helping to put out the fire, that is storytelling magnifique. So then, announcer lad. Yeah? It's your turn. Okay. So, with your feet firmly planted on planet Earth. And sticking to the script, and not writing any of your, uh, uh, fiction. Or as we call it, All right, all right, all right. I'll wrap things up. Okay, so the fire was out. There was some damage, but no one was seriously hurt. So, it's all good in the neighborhood, right? Huh. Not on your life. Whoever was out to destroy things with a fire was still at work. And this time, it gets personal. You don't want to miss our next episode. Well done, monsieur. Aye, no unicorns, no... You get an attaboy for that one, lad. Thanks. Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, and the Ark, the Reed, and the Fire Cloud was written by Jenny L. Cody. To purchase your copy of the Ark, the Reed, and the Fire Cloud on audiobook, log on to audible.com. And for all the amazing books by Jenny L. Cody, the entire collection of the Epic Order of the Seven, log on to Jenny's website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. That's epicorderofthe7.com. See you next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thanks for joining us. Have a grande! <laughs>